0: Welcome to the Deep Hire Podcast, where each episode we explore the worlds of recruiting and staffing, technology, business, and the roles we have within them. Today I am joined by Scott Schmidt, and we discuss how being relationship-oriented leads to longer-term success, what every candidate always says that they need from the companies that they're considering working with, and how contingency recruiting isn't as good as an hourly-based recruiting model. We also discuss more, and this is a great conversation that I very much enjoyed. So without further ado, here is Scott Schmidt. Scott, would you introduce yourself and sort of describe what you do right now with the company that you work with? Yep, absolutely.
1: Uh, so my name is Scott Schmidt, and I work for the Source and the Recruit Company. I'm a senior relationship manager there, and and I run a I run a full recruiting desk. So uh, you know I do I do both sides of the the fence. I, you know I work with uh, with client interaction, and I work with candidate interaction, and
0: then I marry the two. Wow. So that sounds like the position that is recruiting and staffing, working with both the client and the candidate. Yep,
1: absolutely, absolutely. And I think you know every firm does it a little bit you know they have their own variation of it um some firms will you know sp- will split the two and have you know sales essentially and then and then client or candidate relationship management but at uh, the source and recruit company everybody within the organization runs runs a full desk
0: okay so can you give me any advice if i was just starting out and i was about to take into your position what is the first first thing you tell me
1: the first thing I tell you is just uh, <laughs> don't give up. Be persistent. Okay. Um, it doesn't matter what the industry is straight across the board. Um, There's a, it's a lot to learn. Recruiting is very – recruiting can be seen as very transactional. So I, I think the maybe the biggest, best piece of information that I could give people or, or advice I could give people is just is to be relational, not transactional. There's just so many groups out there that are just – kind of going going for the throat so to speak as far as when they are in contact with candidates or with clients you know right down to business right down to you know we try to be more relational and found that that we have a higher success rate when we can find common ground with both clients and candidates because that's the only way that we can allow both sides of the fence to see that we really care about them uh, mm-hmm. as an organization or an individual versus just our our bottom
0: line so like taking your time to just have conversations maybe off of the you know obvious goal at hand, like what, what are what ways do you improve the relationships that you have
1: yep absolutely I, I think um, you know that old that old sales mindset is super antiquated now um, i don 't think there is any, any such thing as a, i don 't think there is such a thing as a salesman. What we do is we, you know we we help people remove their own obstacles so they can get where they want to be you know without having to talk them into anything. So right. so so we always start off with some sort of some sort of relational conversation, right? Whether it be something we saw on their website or something that we saw from personally professional standpoint, maybe they got promoted or or something of that nature when you're having the initial conversation. You always want to do at least a little bit of research on on the people that you're going to be interacting with. So that you can have a conversation uh, at the front, at the forefront, about something that has absolutely nothing to do with the business portion of the the conversation.
0: Yeah, definitely. I would say that I really agree with your description of sales. Or since there's no such thing as sales, I would really agree with your perspective of what a quote-unquote salesperson does. It's, It's like you're a psychologist that you jump into a situation and you say, okay, what's the problem? How can we help you solve that problem? And it's, and it's not always this, you know, it's people aren't just looking for a candidate to fill their missing position. Like that is what they're looking for, but they're also looking for connections down the line. And when you can develop a relationship with somebody, this is how I see it. At least if you can develop a relationship with this, with these people that you're doing business with, hopefully that relationship And the way that you approach it is strong enough to last, you know, 20 years or 30 years. And and that's the most beneficial thing.
1: Yeah, that's uh, and you just hit on a topic that I mean we could talk for hours on this topic because it goes even it goes so much deeper than that. When you make things relational and not transactional on both the client and the the candidate side, you're really going to get you're going to get to the right answer for both parties every time because you're going to be able to have the conversations that need to be had. So the old mindset of I don't feel like you can you can make anybody do anything they didn't already want to do right? Mm -hmm. So our job is is just to, again, remove the obstacles, take the hurdles out of the way, provide them with the information that they need in order to make the best educated decision they possibly can, taking all things into consideration. And if at the end of the day, the answer is no, that's okay, because that'll be the right answer if we've done this correctly, right? Yeah. And and if the answer is yes, then we know that all parties have looked at it from as many angles as possible and creating long-lasting relationships, not only from a business standpoint with them as our client, but also with the teams that we're helping them build within their organization because the better fit we find for them, the longer those people are going to you know, be a part of their organization on down, on down the road.
0: Definitely. I wanted to know, because you seem like you have a good foundation of best business practices. I mean, you've got a long-term vision. You put your foundation on honesty and transparency. So I wanted to know how often you interact with businesses that feel skeevy or sleazy like how often is that a reality um do you mean so is the question how often do we
1: interact with businesses that that we feel are uh, operate in that manner or how often businesses perceive us in that manner when we're interacting with
0: them how often do you work with other companies that you perceive to be
1: so that's that 's the beautiful part of what we do i think uh is that we get we get to choose which companies we work with as well, and I think that's that 's any company straight across the board and, and i don 't know if I would put it as you know we feel that other companies are you know more or less ethical than us it's it 's just that sometimes uh well not sometimes all of the time different entities operate in a different manner, mm-hmm. and sometimes the manner in which some companies operate just doesn't match up with the way we do business. Right. And that's okay, right? At the end of the day, I think what you have to do is you you have to find clients that the way you do business and the way they do business matches pretty well at the forefront. Now, you don't want it to be identical because, right, then you're A, gonna, <laughs> you're going to limit yourself as to how many clients you have. And B, part of what we do is we we help companies, we help influence the way companies interact with, you know, potential Hires and you know current employees, so you know you have to find that good marriage of a company that works within your ethical and operational standards, but then again isn't you know exactly identical to what you're doing
0: right because obviously you, yeah it t- totally makes sense you have to you can't just do what you want to do all the time, like you have to be a little bit flexible is how is 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 that what you're getting at?
1: Yep, yep, you do. And then if you're working with companies that just, that the the fit's not right, you're not doing yourself a service, you're not doing them a service, you're not doing the the candidates you're going to bring into the process because the process is going to be choppy. There are times when companies just aren't a good match to work with each other. And I think one thing that, you know, not just recruiting firms, but straight across the board, people who do is is you have to have the ability to walk away from those types of, of scenarios. And you're actually doing yourself a favor in the long run, in the long term, by doing that.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's good advice I would say. I wanted to bring this to a personal level. What excites you about the recruiting and staffing industry?
1: (laughs) Uh, I've got the best job in the world.
0: (laughs) To be straightforward.
1: (laughs) I absolutely I I dig the fact that I meet new people every single day. And we're a national firm, so you know, I've got clients in St. Louis and Chicago and Vermont and you know all over the nation. So people laugh at me when I say this, but it's it's like taking little day trips right without ever having to leave my office. Right. So one day I'm talking to somebody in, you know, Burlington, Vermont about what's going on in in their city and their state, and the next day I'm talking to somebody in Chicago, Illinois about what's going on in their city and their state. So, you know, it's like the experiences that you are allowed by doing this job are just fantastic. And I enjoy doing that every day.
0: That's great. I feel really similarly actually about this podcast. It's such a treat, honestly, to be it's such a rich job because you get to talk to A huge variety of people. It's it's really great, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Um, a blessing. It's a blessing
1: to be able to do that. And then on top of that, to be able to actually be able to to help people. You know, I mean, life is way too short. So the main reason I love recruiting and got into recruiting is because I just realized after 35 years of being in the workforce that life's way too short to spend as much time as we do doing what we do where we do it and just not be happy Mm -hmm. right having the ability to affect change for people to allow them to enjoy their professional lives not only where they work or who they work with that's huge for me too
0: i love that do you have any broad what do people love what are the universal things that people really commonly are like i want to be doing this i want to be doing it here i want to be doing it for this much like what have you discovered that everybody wants everybody wants to be valued That in and of itself, I think if you put it in a nutshell, I don't care what industry you're
1: in, I don't care what your discipline is. Everybody wants to know that they're valued by the organization that they work for. So I I came from the shut up and work era. I'm dating myself a little bit. I came from the era where, you know, you went to work for an employer and if you had an issue, their first question was, he got his paycheck last week, right? Mm -hmm, Right. (laughs) Right? I mean, and, and as long as you got that paycheck, they... They couldn't figure out why you could have any other issues over and above that. That's changed. I mean, we're in, you know, I think with the the millennial generation kind of started it, but they started having conversations, you know, within the organization as to, you know, why should I want to work for you versus you know, you letting me work for you. So it's a whole, whole different mindset now.
0: Oh yeah, totally. I feel like it's a good thing to have that. Obviously you shouldn't have too much, too much weight as a beginning employee. I was talking with somebody the other day and she's like, yeah, well, you know, when I'm training people to interview, I make sure that they don't start asking too many demands from the company that's considering them until they're in the position to do so, you know? So it's like, absolutely, yeah, can't be too, too greedy or anything before. I think what
1: she was talking about, or, or sometimes people are talking about things like compensation and, and flex time and all that kind of good stuff. You definitely have to build value. But communication and having the ability to have a hand in your own career progression, just some things that aren't necessarily being demanding of, of an organization, but understanding how an organization operates and whether or not the way that organization operates is a good fit for you is, is a big deal. So there are some questions that, you know, we encourage people to ask at the onset so that they know, hey, if I make a change and I move to this company, do I feel confident that it's a, that it's a long-term fit for me? And it doesn't have to be around benefits or salary or, or flex time. It can be around lines of communication. Who do I report to? What's my career progression look like? If I decide I want to head a different direction within the company, do I have the ability to make those types of changes? There's quite a few things that you can look at upfront as a candidate talking to a potential employer that will allow you to see if they're a good fit for you.
0: Do you feel like we've improved the way we set up businesses and the way that we benefit the workforce that's a part of it?
1: I think we're starting to. I think we're starting to become, that, that companies are starting to understand that they have to take a vested interest in employee engagement, right? Because, and we were just talking about this in the office this morning, anytime you see a downward trend in employee engagement numbers, almost everything else follows it, whether it's profitability or productivity or safety or even just the overall health of your workforce. If that employee engagement number is low, you're also going to see the same trend throughout all those numbers. So employers are starting to realize that it makes sense <laughs> to take good care of the people that work for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's come a long way since, you know, obviously instituting child labor laws, like that seems <laughs> insane that it was I, allowed to happen. And, and now we're, you know, improving obviously over time. So that's a really good thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree
0: more. Bringing it back to recruiting in particular, I wanted to discuss your company's vision for 2020 and beyond. Like what are your goals and how would you describe them?
1: Well, I mean, the number one goal is, you know, always taking over the world, right? Isn't that, isn't that always the, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the, first, the first goal? Yes, yes. World, world domination, right? Um, <laughs> Write
0: that down. World domination? Got it.
1: <laughs> I think, uh, you know, to be, uh, you know, a little more serious, one of our goals is to s- just successfully marry the RPO retained model that the source and recruit company has with a true contingent model, which is what my experience is. That's going to accomplish a couple of things. On the external side, it's going to allow for a more complete, balanced client menu that will offer them the ability to receive a larger return on investment than normally seen in the industry. And then on the internal side, it allows us to have a more complete and well-balanced financial profile.
0: Could you describe that as if I were a (laughs) five-year-old?
1: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So the model I came from is called contingent recruitment. So essentially, there's zero risk on the client side to make it very easy. I do all the work up front, no money exchanges hands, there's no financial until they decide that they're going to hire a candidate that I presented to them. Right, okay, yeah. So absolutely zero risk on their side of the fence. The RPO model is recruitment process outsourcing. It's almost like having, uh, it's as close as you can come to having an in-house recruitment team without all the extras, right? At varying levels, it allows you to, you know, uh, marry with their ATS or whatever systems they might be using. And then we kind of act as an external recruiting team for them. The bread and butter here is an hourly on demand model. So what's nice about that is it reduces the overall cost of your hire drastically. So, you know, I think the average fees that you're seeing out there, you know, can range from 20 to 25 to 30% right now based on, you know, the unemployment rates that we're experiencing currently. And we can take you to less than half of you know, that, let's say 25%. Usually we can fall within about a 12, 12 and a half to 13% range for a recruitment fee by using the hourly on demand model, because the client takes a little bit of the risk themselves mm-hmm. and we take some of the risks. So we kind of work together as far as that's concerned. But what you get in return for that model is just incredible as far as like return on your investment, because you're going to have more transparency into what the recruitment process looks like, where we find people, how we're finding them, we're going to build a database for you that you're going to be able to use in the future, and we're going to allow you to have a, take part in the quality control of the system because we're going to tell you up front here's the direction we're heading if you see any red flags, you know raise your hand and say, okay, we don't want to go over there, we should focus on this. The return on investment versus the contingent where you don't get any of those things, like right. literally all you get is a you get a couple of candidates right at the end of the day it's just hands down, heads and shoulders above what people normally see.
0: Well that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I would say that it seems like a good situation because contingency recruiting does seem like too much of the weight is put on the recruiting side of it. The clients just have to sit back and wait for all these recruiters to scramble around and obviously not everybody gets chosen, so there's a huge loss of time and money and resources from so it's like it sounds great because you're meeting a middle ground with this hourly model.
1: Right. And and what, what you what you find with this hourly model is you find that you then now all of a sudden you're working with a with a firm that's in it with you until you find that individual. Right. So we're gonna we're gonna stay on this project. We're gonna put the effort that we told you we'd put forth on this project until we accomplish that goal. Now you can't guarantee that a hundred percent of the time it's gonna be, you know, you're gonna find that candidate because sometimes they're just, you know, there's extenuating circumstances, they're just not out there, whatever it might be. But if you're working with a contingent firm, a lot of times you'll see companies working with a number of different contingent firms, and they're, and they're saying, well, I'm not getting any candidates, and I've got four or five firms working on this. And that's probably because with a contingent firm, if they only do contingent, they're looking for what's closest to the money. So if they work on your project for three or four days, and they're starting to see that it's going to be a problem project, they're just going to move on and they're going to go to the next project that's going to be a little bit easier because they're not getting paid up front. They don't get paid until they get results. So they're going to work on the projects that they're fairly certain they're going to be able to get results on in a fairly small amount of time. You're better off working with a firm that you know is in it for the long haul, so to speak.
0: Definitely. Is this an industry-wide model that's being used or is it uniquely to you guys?
1: No, it's not uniquely us. Uh, there are other firms out there that are using this model as well. You know, so there's the basic three. It's the hourly on demand, it's retained, and then contingent. You know, Retained is where you pay a certain percentage of the fee up front, and then you know, there's terms as to when you end up paying that. Right. It's just a different way to, to pay for that model.
0: Totally. Cool. So I suppose we are running out of time here. Time's flying. (laughs) That's a good thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, it is, actually. I guess I just want to ask one more company based question. I want to explore some of the challenges that you're facing right now. Like, what are some of the major challenges that you're facing?
1: I think the unemployment levels that we're facing right now are both a blessing and a challenge, Mm. right? You know, (laughs) on the blessing side, it means that there are people out there who need us, right? On the challenge side, the old ways of going through a hiring process have to be revamped because you have to be able to be you know, quicker on your feet. It has to be more streamlined, pay a little bit more attention and more interaction with the clients. So educating companies on how best to attract talent in an environment like we're experiencing right now can be a very big challenge.
0: Because the employment rate is – everybody's employed. People have jobs. <laughs> right, so right. companies need to find different ways to attract new employees. How are they doing that?
1: The majority of the people that we work with are passive, passive candidates. Right, so by passive, I mean they're not actively out there seeking employment. They're currently employed. You know, you reach out to those people and you just talk to them about what their aspirations are, how they're doing, what does the day to day look like. Because eventually, you're going to run into somebody who is missing something at their current place and has taken all the steps that they can possibly take to rectify that, but it's not getting rectified. So the only way that they're going to fix it is to move someplace else, but they haven't yet made the decision to actively pursue that. That's like the perfect candidate. But 95% of the people we talk to are in that category of passive candidates. So it's a lot of conversations and it's a lot of walking through different scenarios so that you can get to the person who, you know, we're not afraid as a firm to counsel candidates that we speak with that maybe it's not the right time to make the move right mm-hmm. or or maybe you need to go back and talk to your current employer about this situation before you decide to make a move right right cuz we have people's best interests both the client and the candidate in mind when we do this process so so it's yeah it's challenging right now absolutely
0: wow that is something that i honestly didn't really have a good picture of the percentage of your company, of your candidates, whether or not they're passive or actively looking. 95% is a huge amount of passive candidates. Mm -hmm. Just from where I'm sitting right now, I feel like that is so much different than active candidates.
1: Yeah, it absolutely is. And not to say that active candidates are a bad thing. You You can find an active candidate that's going to be a good fit for your company at the end of the day as long as you go through the process and you ask the right questions and, you know, so I'm not saying you should shy away from active candidates. However, a passive candidate makes a decision from a much different place than an yeah. active
0: candidate does, right?
1: Right, definitely. I mean, they're going to dig a little bit deeper, and they're going to think about it a little bit harder. And then when they do make that change, it's going to be for all the right reasons.
0: Right, right. It seems like, I've said this a few times, but it seems like the recruiters play such an important communication role, just expressing like all of the different angles to a candidate so that they can obviously... If they're working at a pretty good company, there have to be really good reasons to leave that pretty good company to an even better company. So yep. I feel like the recruiter is yep. just in such an important position right there. I couldn't
1: agree more. And I think that it's interesting because money is the least of the motivations, right? At the end of the day, it's not compensation that causes people to make a change. It's career progression. It's the things we talked about up front. How valued do they feel within an organization? Will their voice be heard within that organization, right? If a candidate comes to me and says, hey, the only reason I want to make a move is for money, Mm -hmm. then I'll just tell them I'm not the right recruiter to work with because that's the absolute worst motivation anybody could have for making a change
0: like that. Well, that's super cool. Does that happen often? To be straightforward, it does
1: not happen often. It's very seldom that that's people's main motivation. I don't hear that very often. A lot of times it's because... They've been in a company for 20 years and some management changes have been made and, you know, how they handle their department is now different. So they've had the conversations with their current employer and it doesn't look like it's going to change. So they realize, okay, the only way for me to have this change happen is to go someplace that values that, you know, at that point, we help them make that transition. That's
0: cool. That's super cool. I just wanted to close with one question that I ask pretty much every single guest and that is, who do you admire? And it can be business, it can be not related to business, but who do you admire and for what reasons? <laughs> wow. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty unrelated actually to everything we've been talking yeah. about. No, I hear
1: yeah. you. Are you asking from a business standpoint or from a, you know just in general, who do you admire?
0: Yeah. Some people um, have said their mom, some people have said prior bosses. So, it, you know, sure, whatever.
1: Sure. i definitely say my father. My father was a Lutheran minister, Northwoods Bible, Lutheran minister. He taught me the importance of being relational with people, about caring about people. Because his job as a pastor was 24-7. He was all about making sure that people felt valued, that they knew they had value as a person. And I can't think of anybody who demonstrated that on a daily basis better than my father. So so that would definitely be him.
0: Yeah, that really, really, honestly, I picture my mom when you're saying those things. And it's such, it's such a, I'm so grateful that somebody has taught me that. Cause that's one of my core values as well. And it's, it's, it's great cause we come into this world and we don't know shit, but then one of our parents or, or, or whoever, it, whoever it is, you know, they, they teach us and instill that in us. And a lot of times I'm like, yep. I did some work to be who I am today, but honestly, like my yep. mom and my dad did a lot of, a lot of things before I had any role in the game. So yeah, so you, cool. sound like,
1: you sound like they did pretty well. I, I agree. I agree. I think without those things, it took me a long time to get to the point where I could actually look back and go, you know what, that's something I value too. I think I had to go through that growing period of yeah. finding out on my own. And, and then you tend to come back to the things that you're taught, you know.
0: Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another Hire podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you or anybody else on your team thinks that you might be a good fit as a guest on our podcast, feel free to reach out on DeepHire.com. Have a great day. We love you. Love, Matt, and the Deep Hire team.